learning of Kutusichis, Chayotizayin, the third Sicha in Parshas Bahar. It's a fascinating Sicha, it's a Nigla Sicha, and the Rebbe discusses the idea of Shemitah. As a quick, quick introduction, regarding Shemitah we find three halachas, three mitzvahs, um, which will be relevant for this year. The first mitzvah that we have by Shemitah is that you have to let the land rest. The land has to rest. And there's also a loisa, say you're not allowed to work the land, like sizmar, like siksar. So that's point number one, that the land has to rest and you're not allowed to do any work. Mitzvah number two is that a person has to be mafgir, the fruits. You're not allowed to guard the fruits. Rather, you have to let the field remain open. Whoever wants to come and take the fruits are allowed to, is allowed to do that. The third mitzvah that we have is what's called Shemitah Sksafim, that when the Shemitah year comes, any at the end of the year, meaning is on Erev Rosh Hashanah, the last moment of Rosh Hashanah, any loan that is still owed becomes nullified. And then in the eighth year, the year after Shemitah, you are not allowed to collect that loan, Minatayra. Uh, so let's discuss each one of these three concepts. So concept number one we mentioned was the idea of Shvisas arts, letting the land rest. So there's a shaila. what exactly is this mitzvah of letting the land rest? The Rambam writes in the beginning of Hilchus Shemitah Vayegel that there's a mitzvah saseh lishvois ma'avaydis arts of avaydis ilan v'shan hashvis. There's a mitzvah saseh to rest from working the land and working the trees in the seventh year. Shanamar v'shavs arts Shabbos Hashem that the earth will, will rest. It will be a Shabbos for Hashem. And it brings another pasuk v'namar v'charish v'katzut tishvois that with plowing and harvesting you will rest. So the question is. What exactly is the main part of this resting? Is the mitzvah that the land must rest? And you're as if, you know, the administrator, since you're the owner of the land, you're supposed to administrate and make sure that no work actually gets done on the land. So the mitzvah B is the shatsa art that the land has to rest. And therefore, you have a mitzvah also to make sure that no work, no psira, no zmira, nothing is being done on that particular piece of land. Or is the main mitzvah Rather, the main mitzvah is that you're not allowed to work the land. And since you're not allowed to work the land, therefore automatically, Mamela, the land will also rest. So what's the difference if the mitzvah is that the land should rest, or if the main point is that the person should rest? So that Afkamina would be, if a guy is allowed to do work in your field. If the mitzvah is that you're not allowed to do work, then you're not allowed to work your own land. So you can rent it to a guy. You could lend it to a guy. A guy would be able to do the whole to do work on it, just like let's say on a regular Shabbos. If you lease a farmland to a guy for a year, the guy can come whenever he wants and do whatever work. He could do whatever work he wants to do, even if it's going to be on a Shabbos, because you leased it to him. It's now considered his field. It's the same thing with Shemitah. If the mitzvah is for you not to do work, you're not doing any work, and the field itself, the guy is working, so that would be fine. But if the mitzvah is that the land is supposed to rest, and you're administrating and making sure that nobody actually works the land, then of course you wouldn't be able to lend it or rent it or allow the guy to do any work because that would be defeat the whole mitzvah. The whole mitzvah is for you to make sure that the land is resting. If the guy is doing work on this land that you own, then it's not going to rest and it would be higher of Hashem not make a difference if you rented it to the guy, you leased it to the guy, or the guy, if the guy even came without your permission and came to the land, you would have to throw him out because your mitzvah is to safeguard and make sure the land is resting. And Bapashas, these two ways of looking at it is really dependent on what the purpose of the mitzvah is. The Mara Nebuchadnezzar tells us that the purpose of the mitzvah 
is an order for arts to bless in order for the land to add in its in its produce to and that the land will become stronger by remaining fallow. Meaning is that letting the land have a sabbatical every seven years that actually improves and strengthens the land. And Hashem wants the land of Eretz Yisrael always to be good and strong. So therefore, that would make sense. You're not allowed to let it go and do the work because that defeats the whole purpose of the mitzvah. But the second reason what's given is given by the Chinuch. The Chinuch says that the purpose is that the person should become aware and should become established within the heart that Hashem created the world in six days. And the seventh day, he rests. So similarly, we work for six years. And in the seventh year, we rest. And he continues that this also brings a very strong betachen inside of the person that he knows. And on the seventh year, he's completely relying on Hashem. So it adds in his patachan and adds his anamuna that he knows Hashem created the, the world in six days and seventh day he rests. So all of this, the main purpose is, is not so much about the land resting, it's really for the person to have the proper uh, deus and the proper amuna and the proper patachan and Hashem. So therefore, since the main thing is for the person not to do any work, then you know letting the guy do the work would not disrupt that. So that's the first thing. But so what, how exactly are we supposed to look at it? Just in short, we look at it, the mitzvahs on the person, that he has to rest, or is the purpose is that the land rest, uh, should rest? So to understand this, the rubber first will go into point number two. And if we understand how it is by point number two, which is the mitzvah of the, 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 the fruits, it says in the Pasuk, that the Paris of the seventh year, anybody is allowed to come into your field and take these fruits. The fruits are hefker. So we can ask the same question regarding this particular mitzvah of Shemitah. But before we ask that mitzvah, the Rebbe points out in Ha'ara uh, 13 that the Chinuch writes that this mitzvah, to be mocked all your Paris, Paris, is connected to the mitzvah of resting the land. Meaning is they both have one idea, that the reason why you're being mocked your Paris and the reason why you're letting the land rest is all with the same idea is to and inculcate in the person the samun and the spatach Hashem. So it's really one aspect of, of resting and, and relying completely on Hashem. Um, so the question is, you have to be mafke the Paris. So the question is, is the person, have, does he have to be mafke the Paris? Meaning is that I have to open up the gates and say this field is hefker and you come and take it? Or is the pshat that the field automatically becomes hefker? And uh, you don't actually have to do anything. Your mitzvah will be just to be like, again, like the administrator. The land becomes hafker. The fruits on the land are hafker. And your job is to make sure that it remains in a status of hafker. Meaning is if someone comes and closes the gates, your mitzvah is to open it up. If you close the gates, you know that you're over in that mitzvah sase. The Lashon of the Rebbe is, also the Malka. Is the mitzvah chiv on the gavra that he has an obligation to be, literally to mafker the fruits of his field for anyone to take? Or is the mitzvah that Hashem, Hashem removes your ownership of these fruits, and therefore the fruits really can be taken by anybody. And your mitzvah is to safeguard that, to make sure you don't close the gates, make sure everybody has free access, and make sure it's the, the fruits and the produce in the field are being conducted in a way that it is clear that everything in it is hafka. What's the nafkamina? So the nafkamina is if a person is not mafka his field, let's say he locks. You know, he locks the, uh, the gates to his field. He puts on a big sign, uh, uh, trespassing, um, do, not, do not cross this line, whatever. So if you're saying that the, it's a mitzvah for the person to be mafke the field, that means if he didn't mafke it, then he still owns it. So if you would come and, to his field and start taking fruits, you'd be over on the Isogzela. 
true, he has a mitzvah to be mafkir the fruits, but he clearly did not. He closed the door, he put on a sign that he's, uh, that you're trespassing. So clearly he was not mafkir the fruits, he's still guarding, and he would be over on the Isser of Zelah. He'd be over on one Isser, you would be over on the other Isser. But if you're, but if the mitzvah is that Hashem is uh, mafkir the field, so it's automatically hafkir, then the mitzvah is only that he's administrating this hafkir. So he's obviously doing a very bad job administrating it, because he sealed it, but if you cross over this gate, you climb over and you take the fruits, you would be fine because it's after. Hashem made the fruits after. So you'd be able, you would be allowed to take them um, in that situation. And just to discuss these, uh, the, the first way. The first way we said was that it's a chiv on the gavra. There's a chiv on the gavra that he has to make this fruits of the field hefker. So there's really two ways of making uh, the fruits hefker. Or two ifanim that the Rebbe discusses in our uh, thirteen, thirteen star. Um, the question is, what he's the Rebbe is trying to understand is, if the mitzvah is that the person has to make it hefker, then how is the let's say the per person passing by able to know that he made it hefker? Uh, right? If we're saying Hashem makes it hefker, then of course the poor person could come in, he could take the fruits, he could just uh, you know it doesn't really make a difference what the guy did, it's hefker, so you could just go in and do whatever you want. But if we're saying is that it's the obligation for the person to make it hafkar, how is the Ani who's standing outside supposed to know how we made it hafkar? So there's two Ifanim that the Rebbe gave. So one Ifan is that you look at how the person conducts himself. If, if the door of the gate is open, you know, it, it's anyone can come in, you see it's not being guarded, then the Hanhaga, the way how he conducts himself is Mashiach, that proves that he made it hafkar. The Hanhaga is Mashiach, it's making it clear that he has made this field hafkar, and you don't actually, doesn't actually need to say Pedibur on being mafkar the field, it's just your Hanhaga. The second option is that he does have to say it uh, with this Dibur, but a person has a Cheskas Kashras. So when you pass by this field, you don't know if he said it's hafkar or not, but we can rely on the person's Cheskas Kashras that Mastama Ayid follows what Hashem wants, and therefore you can go into the field without any assumption that maybe the person was not mafkar the field. So what's the nafkamina between these two options? The nafkamina would be in a situation where the person does not have a chaskas kashra. So let's say for the past few shemitas, this person has not been keeping it. And you know it's public news that this person does not guard the shemitah. So he doesn't have a chaskas kashra. So if the idea is that you look at the field and see if the field looks like the person made it after, if it's mechiach, you know, he took down the gates. So even this person that doesn't have a chaskas kashra, go to his field, look at it. If it looks like it's... Uh, it's it's it, it's if it looks like it's after, then you're able to take the fruits without any having chashash of gzela. But if it's based on this idea of a cheskas kashras and he needs to actually make it after, well, he doesn't have a cheskas kashras, so you have no idea if he actually made it after. Therefore, you will not be able to take it. Either way, this is the the, the to, to jump back. This is the first nafkimina where uh, how you perceive the idea of a person's mitzvah to be mafkir the fruits. Is it that the person has to make it hafkar, and if he doesn't, then it still belongs to him, and if someone takes those fruits, it would be over in the gzela. Or does Hashem, after Asta the Malka, Hashem makes the fruits hafkar, and the person's mitzvah is just to administrate to make sure that it's conducted in the way that it's hafkar, and therefore someone, even if, if someone comes and takes the fruits, even if he didn't conduct it in the proper way, it would be fine, it would not be gazel because it doesn't belong to him anyway. Deborah then gives a second afkamina. Uh, the second Avkimina is regarding Maestris. So we know that in Eretz Yisrael you have to take uh, Maestris, and, um, but it's only during the first six years. On the seventh year of Shemitah year, you, there is no Maestris. The reasoning being because since it, the fruits are Hafkar, 
So the din is by hafker, you don't need to take trumas and maisos off. For example, you have leket, shichach, any of the matnas aniyim, since those are considered hafker, or have, at least have a gather of hafker, therefore you don't need to take any trumas and maisos off of them. So same thing by the hafker year, since it's, uh, no one owns it, there is no obligation of trumas and maisos. So, the, so now we can see another nafkamina. What happens if the person was not mafker his field? So according to the option that a person has to be mafkered, then if he's not mafkered, then it still belongs to them. That would mean uh, for any, if you buy produce from an individual who is not a shamer shvius, um, that produce, which you're not allowed to do, by the way, but assuming that, let's say, you have this fruit and you need it, then you'd have to take up trumas and maestris from it because since he owns it, he is chayim trumas and maestris, and then therefore you'd actually have to take it off, even though it's shemitah produce. But if you're saying that it's Hashem makes it hafker, then of course there wouldn't be any maestris because this fruits, Allah, if we have together of hafker, and therefore there would be no obligation of trumas and maestris. So another interesting nafkamina. Regarding this nafkamina, um, the Rebbe, uh, it's, it should be noted, the Rebbe discusses this, that it's really based on a machlaikis between the Ma'arit and the Beis Yosef. Um, they discuss what happens if you buy produce, um, if you buy produce from a guy. So uh, when you buy produce from a guy on, on, on the Shemitah year, so the Lacha is in Eretz Yisrael, that a goy, obviously a goy doesn't take trumas and maestros himself, but the lachobi is if you buy the produce of a goy before the processing is complete. So let's say, um, it's, it's still, let's say, let's keep it simple. It's, you know, it's, you bought it right before the harvest season. So you bought all of his, his grain. So lacha would be once you finish processing it, you would actually have to do trumas and maestros on that grain. So the question now is what happens to the pears of the goy that you purchased Again, before the harvest during the Shemitah year, would it be chayiv in Trumas Amaisers or not? So this machlek is the Mabit and the Beis Yosef. So the Mabit wants to say that it would be it would be potter from Trumas Amaisers. Why? Because the Mabit holds that Hashem is the one that makes the land hafker. So Hashem is making all the land of Eretz Yisrael hafker. So therefore, the, even the fruits which are on the land of the guy will also become hafker, at least become hafker for the dinim of Trumas Amaisers. Hashem takes away their ownership. From him, so therefore it would actually be hafker, at least again it's not the dinim of trumas and maestros. The Beis Yosef argues, and he says, no. Since the whole purpose of this, of since the whole reason why trumas and maestros are potter, it's because mitzad but then hafker, and in this situation a goy is not going to be making his field hafker, so therefore it actually would be chayev in trumas and maestros. So that would be. Um, so that's what they're arguing about. But Toich of the Beis Yosef mentioned something interesting. He says, what happens, or really Marit's asking him and the Beis Yosef answering, what happens in a situation where there's a Yid? And this Yid does, is not mafker his fruits. So shouldn't this individual also be chayv and chumas and So the Beis Yosef says two things. He says, one option is enoch He says, yeah, he would be chayv because since he wasn't mafker the fruits, he actually would be chayv and chumas and and then the basic says, you know what, maybe not, uh, because by Yid, at least there's, there's a mitzvah. He's commanded to be make it hafker. So therefore, since he's commanded to make it hafker, therefore it won't have the mitzvah of Trumas and Maestros on it. Masha'in came by a guy. So what does that mean? The Rebbe explains. What does it mean that he has the mitzvah to be mafker? So the Rebbe explains like this, that during this six-year cycle, different years, you're chayv in different types of uh, Maestros. For example, you're one, two, Four and five, you have to give Maeser Shani. That's the Maeser that you bring to Yushalayim and eat it there. While you're three and six, 
you're high, you, you don't bring mice to Shani, rather you, you, you give mice to instead. And he says, but nobody thinks, right, what, and what, what's the reasoning behind this? The reasoning why, why you give some years mice to Shani and some years mice to because it's too much. Hashem's not going to be mechaib you to give all of it at once. Maestro Shani and Maestro Ani all in one year. It's too much, therefore he split it up. Some years you give Maestro Shani, some years you do the Maestro Ani. But what happens if, let's say, the first year you, you can't give Maestro Shani? No one's going to start thinking, wait a second, if you didn't give Maestro Shani, you should give Maestro Ani. What's the whole reason why you're not giving Maestro Ani this year? Is because you're giving Maestro Shani and Hashem doesn't want to make mechaib too. But since you're not or you can't give Maestro Shani this year, therefore you should give Maestro Ani. No one's going to say that. Why? Because Hashem established that certain years the produce is high the Maestro Shani, and other years the, 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 the produce is high the Maestro Ani. In Achinami, there's a logic behind it that Hashem didn't want to make you high in both of them uh, in one year, but Papayal, the way how Hashem established it, that certain years this is what you're supposed to do, and certain years this other thing you're supposed to do. And if you don't bring Maestro Shani one year, you're not going to fulfill that obligation by bringing Maestro Ani instead in that particular year. So he says the same thing with the Shemitah year. During the Shemitah year, Hashem's giving you the command to be mafkir this field. You didn't mafkir it. So you didn't fulfill that mitzvah, but Hashem never put the command of giving true Messiah in this produce. The, the, the mitzvah for this year is for you to be mafkir. You didn't mafkir it, therefore there's no more obligation for you to do any, to do any true Messiah So that's what the basis of the Yosef is saying. So just to repeat in short what the ways of looking at this particular Nafkimina could be. If you hold that Hashem makes the field hafkir, then for sure, um, there's not going to be any Truman Semisters. If you hold that it's, uh, it's the person, the Gavra that has to make the Trumas, that the person, it's the Gavra that has to make the field after, then uh, you can look at it in two ways. One way, the more Pashtistic way of looking at it is, since he didn't make it after, then automatically, of course, he would be high in Truman Semisters. The whole tour of not doing Truman Semisters is because he didn't give he did it because uh, he, he's mafkering it. Since he's not mafkering, then he would be chayv and trumas On the other hand, we could look at it as that since Hashem gives the command to this yid uh, to be mafkeret, that means the obligation on this produce for this particular year is only to do mafkeret, not to do trumas and therefore he would still be pater even according to this option. But Masha Inkin Agoy, since uh, Agoy, Hashem never gave the command um, to be mafkeret, according to the Beis Yosef, therefore the Pashtas. He, he, would, he would just, his obligation would still be true Messiah, meaning the Yid's obligation is based on the year. Masha'inking the Goy that Hashem always says there's never half green, there's always going to be the union of true Messiah, then he would always be high in true in Messiah. Okay, so to summarize what we said until this point, is that we really have two ways of looking at the mitzvah of Shemitah and the Shemitahs of the Paris. One way is to look at it as that it's a mitzvah on the person to let the land rest and to be mafkir the Paris. The second way is that Hashem wants the land to rest. It's a mitzvah on the land that it has to rest and also the fruits will automatically become um, hefker. So what we're going to do now is we're going to try to prove which one of these chikiris is correct. So first going to try to prove that it's afka'as the malka, that it's Hashem making it hefker. And then we're going to try to prove it the other way. So the Rebbe brings two proofs for the idea of Afka Asta de Malka. The first proof he brings in Sif Dalit, in the Pnim, and he quotes an interesting medrash on, on uh, interesting medrash. It says in Tehillim, Kapitel Kuf Gimel, Pasachav, that the, uh, the strong, the warriors who, who do his words, they listen to the, 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 the sound of his voice. 
So the Medrash tells us these are those who guard Shvias. And why are they called the Gebayre Why are they called the strong, powerful ones? Because the Rayas is a day of Mufkaris. For the nice of Mufkarm, a Sayogim Mufratzen. Because he sees his field being treated, uh, being made hefker. He sees the trees being made hefker. He sees the siyogin, the, the defenses being broken down, and he sees his fruits being eaten, and he holds in his yetzer, and he doesn't say anything. So the mashmash of the lashon is that he's seeing his field being made, being mufker, being made hefker, is implying that he's not doing anything. His gubayr what is his strength, is that he sees something being done to the field, meaning is that Hashem makes it hefker, but he doesn't do anything. So that is his strength. So that's mashma that it's Hashem, Hashem, the mitzvah is that Hashem makes it, that Hashem makes it hefker, and his mitzvah is just a minister, minister or really not to get involved. But the Rebbe says that uh, you, you could give a doich, we can doich and you could give an explanation that when the Medrash is saying that he sees his field being mufukeris, being made hefker, it doesn't mean Literally, that it's being made hafker. Rather, it's talking about the outcome. Really, he made his field hafker, right? Before Shemitah, he made his field hafker. And then what happens is, sometime later, he comes by his field and he sees everyone eating it and, you know, destroying the fruits and like climbing the trees, breaking branches. And he sees his fruits and his trees being treated like hafker. It says Mufukaris is that they're making it hafker. There's the literal hafker that he does, but then there's it being treated Mufukaris, others making it hafker. And that's what the Medrash is talking about, that he made his field hafker, true. But then he sees everyone coming in and ruining everything, and he still remains quiet, and he doesn't say anything. That's his Gebo'i Kayach. So therefore, it's hard to say from this Medrash, even the Mashmois of the Medrash would be more glat, according to that, uh, the first way. But it's not a hafker, because again, the Gebo'i Kayach would be the idea is that he sees how others are treating it as hafker, and, and he doesn't say anything. That could be the Kayach. A second uh, proof that the Rebbe brings, he brings us in Nahara, is that there's an interesting halacha um, about the 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 shtehal, the, um, the the carbon aimer and the shtehalacha and the chats of Rana during the shemitah year, because we know that the first that the aimer has to be brought on might say pesach might say the first day of yom pesach and the shtehalacha is brought on shuas. But the question is, since everything is hafker, where are you getting this produce from? Um, you know, what what happens if there's nothing left in the field? No one's guarding anything. So, you know, some years there might be nothing left for the basin to use the kavana. So what are you supposed to do? So the, uh, the, the, the Talmud Shalmi tells us what they do is that they, they, they establish shemur svichim. They have these individuals, they had guards that they would uh, put in front of certain fields and they would guard those fields of the produce that grew on its own. So Taisus asks, how could these shemur svichim how could you use that grain? The lacha is that you're only allowed to use for a carbon something which something that a yid was able to, to use, something that a yid is able to eat. Since this is something aser, because you're not allowed to guard it, so the one who's guarding it is not allowed to eat it. So by based in putting these guards in front of the field, that actually makes that, that produce prohibited. So how can you go and then use that produce for the carbon oil in the shteyalachem? Wouldn't that also be prohibited? So Taisus gives an answer that what the shemer svichim do is they just tell people. They just tell people that this is what Beisden is planning on using for the base of Migdash, and therefore people will hopefully walk away, but they're not actually guarding it, not letting people come in. They say it's Hafker, but the, the, the base of Migdash wants to use it. So the Rebbe says, this shot only makes sense if we're saying Afghost to the Malka. He says, because if it has to do with Hafker of a human being, that the Adam needs to make it Hafker, then why did you need to have 
guards in front of the field. There's a very simple etza. A child doesn't have the mitzvah of Shemitah. Since the mitzvah is that you have to make the field, this one, by the way, would be actually a third nafkimina. If you're saying that the, the land becomes hefker automatically, that means even a child's field would become hefker. But if you're saying that you have to make the field hefker, a child doesn't have the capability to make his field hefker, therefore his fruits would belong to him and whoever takes it would be stealing. So based on that, we have a very easy way for the basin to be able to get fruits. Give a field to the cotton before Shemitah. The cotton will own that field. The child would not be able to be mafkaret, so he would own the, the, the fruits and, and, and the grain which is in that field. And when the time comes for the shtehalach and the oimer to be brought, we will still have fruits that belong to this child, and you can guard and make sure no one's taking it, because again, it's actually not made hafker, it belongs to this child. And then Bezin can take it away from the child, in um, the of hafker, Bezin, hafker. Bezin is allowed to take the property of, of anyone away, even a child, so they could take the property away from this child, and you can use it for the Oymer and the Shtelef, and it seems like a very simple option. If you hold that it's a, the obligation on the person to make it hafker, a child cannot make it hafker, so therefore his field will belong to him. When the and the, the time of the chi of the oimer will come, Bezdin will take the grain that they need away from him. They have the capability because we have hafker, Bezdin, hafker, and therefore they have produce. So why didn't, that's a very simple option. Why did they have to do this whole thing of Shemir Sikhim that they're just going to tell people, by the way, this belongs to Bezdin, please don't take it. This is a much simpler option. So Alamai, Lechaira, it's because that wouldn't work. It's because the Pashtas, it's Afka Asta de Malka. So even by a child, it wouldn't belong to the child. It would be Hafka, and therefore it wouldn't really help giving it to the child. It's not Lachayra would be approved. But again, the Rebbe uh, upshlugs that because he gives an interesting club. He says, it's impossible to say that the only way to do a mitzvah of the Torah is in a way of, of, a, of a, a Ramah, in a way of a trick. Because Pshita, he says, She'ein leyme she'kim mitzvah s'aymer sh'te alacha b'shana reviyas nitin ba'ev kazeh. It's obvious that you can't say that the only way for us to fulfill the mitzvah of the Aymer will be in a way that we take the field from someone who's mechuyiv to do mitzvah. Meaning, as Hashem is telling this individual, you have to be mafkir your field and mafkir all the fruits inside of it. So what do we do in order to get out of that? We tell him, you know what, give it to a child, and the child's not mechuyiv in the mitzvah, therefore uh, we still have grain uh, for the Shtei So basically, the only way for us to do the Oymer and the Shtei is by telling somebody not to fulfill his obligation. In a way, to get around, he has an obligation to do a mitzvah, and we give him like a trick how to get out of being able to do that mitzvah. It can't be that's the only way to do the mitzvah. And that's really what the Taisis' question is. Maybe this would work. But it can't be that's the only Oifen that would work. If that's the only Oifen, it's very strange. How could the only Oifen work? work be in a way that you have to do this trick to be mafkia, the, the chi of the mitzvah. Meaning the how, way how it's supposed to be mitzvah Hashem is that you should make all the fields after. And then the chachamim have to come up with the schab of giving the field to a katan. Um, that doesn't seem, you know, the derech ha the straight path of being able to fulfill the obligation. Therefore, the Gemara and the Taisis explain what they did is they had shem etzvichim and they stood uh, outside of the field and they just told people that, that we're planning on using this for Bezdin. Maybe they had a few fields just in case people like, yeah, we don't really care and they go in, but whatever it is, they, 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 they had other oifanim. And once you have other oifanim of how to have that, uh, the grain, then, you know, in a chanami, maybe this child thing would have worked, but, but it can't be that the only way to fulfill the obligation is through bimafkiyah uh, mitzvahs. And that explains why, you know, we find many times a rama in the Torah, like we sell the chametz on Pesach. Right? You're supposed to destroy the chametz, so selling it, you're not really destroying it. 
The reason is because that's not the only way to fulfill the mitzvah is by selling it. You're able to literally destroy it. You're able to mevatel it. So there are other refanim. So when you have another option, fine. But it's not the only way to do it is, is, is to go against what the, the kavan of the Torah is. Now we're going to look at the other option. We're going to try to bring a proof for the idea of that the mitzvah of, of, of Shemitah is really a mitzvah which is on a gaba, which is on the person. And this is by bringing the third topic we mentioned, which is the idea of Shemitah Sksafen. Shemitah Sksafen is that the loans, all loans that were due during the year of Shemitah, uh, or before Shemitah, will become nullified uh, at the end of Shemitah. And besides for the, with the point that we brought earlier from the Chinuch, that these, all these mitzvahs are connected because the purpose of these mitzvahs is to remind us how Hashem created the world and Hashem is the one that runs the world and it's, you're supposed to have Petach in Hashem. Besides for that concept, over here, we know that the Shemitah, the Karka, and the Shemitah, Ksafin, the halachas that apply to one will apply to the other. Because it says in the Pasuk, this is the matter of the Shemitah about Shemite releasing. So the Gemara tells us, Zedvar Shemitah Shemite, there are two types of Shemitahs, the Shemitahs Ksafim and the Shemitahs Karka. And then there's a connection between these two. And I'll just get back later, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to this concept, what exactly is the connection between Shemitahs Ksafim and Shemitahs Karka. There was an interesting Chiddush about it. I'll get back to that soon. But for right now, what's relevant is that the Pasuk says, Zesh, our Shemitah Shemait, that the, the Pasuk itself is talking about two Shemitahs, Shemitahs Ksafim and Shemitahs Karka. So therefore, it's clear that the lachas that apply to one will apply to other. And I'll give some examples later what the Gemara actually gives about the comparisons. Before I go weiter, besides for the, the obvious chakir that we're going to have over here about Shemitah's Ksafim, is the mitzvah on the gaver that he has to nullify all the loans, or is the loans become nullified automatically, and it's his mitzvah is basically not to try to ask for them back, right? not to demand payment for the loan, that would be his mitzvah. He's like administrating the, the mitzvah. So, so that's that's the, the same Chakira. And if we're able to figure out which way it is by Shemitah Ksafim, we can take that and put it also by Shemitah Skarka. So before we go right there, we're going to mention the, uh, the, the second last Mishnah in Masech HaShiyas. I just want to give it an introduction, which will help understand the next part. In um, ownership, uh, according to Yiddishkeit, according to Allah, there, there's two aspects of ownership. Um, there's what's called the Bailus, and the second part is called the Hishtamshus. In different places it's called different things, but the basic idea is Bailus means the owner, the actual owner who owns the etzem, the essential item itself. And then Hishtamshus is who has the right to be able to use this item. So many times it could be one person has both, but sometimes you can have two people. Meaning is, for example, let's say you own a field and then you lease it to someone for five years. So you have the actual ownership of the field. It still be- it essentially belongs to you, but the other person has the right to use the field for those five years, for whatever you agreed upon. So those rights that you gave to him, you don't have those rights anymore. You gave it to him. You sold it to him. And he has those rights for those coming years. So you're able to split it up. Another example would be, let's say someone steals an object, right? So, so let's say he stole a cow. So, and then the original owner wants to make that cow hectish. He says, wherever this cow is, it's going to be hectish l'shamayim. That actually won't work because true, the original owner owns the actual cow, 
but he doesn't have the capability of the hishtamshus. He's not able to utilize that cow for whatever he wants. The thief basically has control. He doesn't own it, but he has control over the hishtamshus. In order to make something hekdish, you sign, you have the bailus, and you also have to have the rishus. It needs to be in your property. It needs to, it needs to be your hishtamshus. You need to be in your rishus. Uh, that you have control over. Mashenkin over here, the, 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 the thief has it. And similarly, if the thief would actually try to make it hectic, it also wouldn't work. True, it's in his rishos, and he has control, he has the shnamshus of it, but he doesn't have the essential ownership, therefore, um, he wouldn't be able to make it hectic either. So we have these two parts uh, of ownership. So going to the case of Shemitah, we know that Shemitah, as we said, removes the loans. But the question is, how exactly does it work? When the Torah tells you to release the loan, what is that? There's two ways of looking at it. One way of looking at it is that when a person, let's say, gives a loan to somebody for $1,000, what's really happening is that $1,000, I'm allowing you to use it. I still own $1,000, but I'm giving you the right to be able to use that money for whatever you want as long as, you know, eventually you'll, you'll give it back to me. When we're talking about a loan, of course, the person actually uses the coins that you give him. So how it works is that there's an obligation that's put on the person himself. It's also the, the obligations put on the person's property called the lien, that there's basically a lien on the person and his, and his property that he has to uh, give back that $1,000. So in other words, I gave you $1,000, you still have that $1,000. But how I take ownership of it is, it's basically I have a certain ownership. I own $1,000 of, of, of your assets. It's not an actual ownership that I can come to your house and take a mashkin or take whatever I want. Uh, in order to take a mashkin, there's rules. You have to go to Bezin and Bezin. You know, you can't just come in and take whatever you want. But, uh, you know, technically, in certain scenarios, if the person doesn't pay you back, Bezin will uh, come and, and take a mashkin according to the, how, the, the halacha, how that's supposed to be done. But either way, the point is that when you give a person $1,000 and give them the right to use it, you never relinquish your bilis, your essential ownership. It's just what you've done is you transfer it. You're telling the guy, you know what, you can use the $1,000, whatever you want, but I'll, I own $1,000 of your uh, property. Like $1,000 of that property eventually has to be returned to me. So you're holding on to that within your estate and eventually you need to bring it back to me. Okay, so when we say that Shemitah nullifies the loan, is the pshat that what you're doing is you're just relinquishing your right to take back that property. You own $1,000 of this person, let's say you own 5% of the person's estate. And when Shemitah comes, the Torah says, you know what? I don't want, we don't want you taking it back. If the person wants to give it back, you know, that's, you know, maybe up to him. Uh, you know, we'll discuss that in a moment. That's up to him. But when Shemitah comes, the Torah says, we don't want you demanding that money back from him. You're giving up your right to take back that claim. So the, um, that's, that's all that's happening. You know, why would the Torah want to take that away? Maybe to make, a, you know, let's say the person obviously can't pay it back. It's ready the Shemitah year. You've clearly wanted to be bank, pay back before the Shemitah. He's not paying it back. Obviously can't. The Torah wants people to have fresh starts, like kind of like the bankruptcy. I guess it's like a, the bankruptcy in Torah type of idea. So therefore, the person, the Torah wants him a fresh start. So the Torah says, you're not allowed to make that demand from him. It's going to be up to the person if he's able to pay it back or not. And the second way of looking at it is that when the Torah says that the debt becomes nullified, it nullifies the whole thing, that even your bias is gone. You don't have a right to claim it, for sure not. But even this ownership that you had in the per person's uh, property, that 5% ownership that you theoretically one day could collect, if the guy, let's say, wouldn't pay you back, you would be able to go to Basin and say, this person owes me $1,000, which is 5% of his estate. Please take that 5% of this estate away. 
that becomes nullified and disappears. That's what Shemitah So that's the two ways. Is it just your right to basically claim it back? Or is it the actual bilus uh, of the item becomes totally um, nullified and even that's gone? So that's going to be the introduction for the next, for this Mishnah. So the Mishnah tells us like this. This again is in Mesefes Shvius. Perik Yod Mishnachas. It says like this. Someone who returns a Shchayv B'Shvius. What it doesn't mean if Shvius, it means actually after Shvius. Because Shvius itself, the loan doesn't become nullified. It's at the end of the year. So it means at the end of the Shemitah year, you come and you want to return the money. Uh, some of them, of course, I want to say it means is when Shemitah actually applies, because sometimes, uh, you know, with the, sometimes it can be Midorban, sometimes the rice. Either way, the point is at the end of the Shemitah year, you come, uh, or after this, should say the end of the Shemitah year, you come, you want to, and the person, the believer wants to return the loan. So, so the Malva needs to tell him, I am a Shamit, I released the loan. So, so the believer tells him, nonetheless, I basically want to pay it back to you. The law is you come menu. You could receive it. Because the Pasuk says, this is the word of the Shemitah, which tells us you just need to tell him one time that um, you don't want to take it back. This one time you're saying it's Shemitah. Once you said the Shemitah one time, you become Pater. So the question is, how exactly do you learn this Mishnah? So it seems like the Rav and others, they learn the Mishnah, the Rosh, the Rosh, the Rebartanur, the, the, the they all learn it as the idea of they learn it as the idea of paying back the loan. By the way, if I should just answer, add one more thing. The end of the Mishnah says that if that happens and you accept, like the guy pays you back, is happy with this leva that still wanted to pay it back even though you were, you, uh, he didn't have to. Fine. So the question is the Lashon of the Mishnah. Mishnah says, you're returning an obligation. There's no chayv. After Shviyas, the chayv has disappeared. It also says, you're supposed to say, Meshamatani, I'm releasing the loan. What do you mean you're releasing the loan? It's automatically released. It's, it's not there anymore. So what is Pshat going on, going on over here? Second of all is, how could the Loiva even pay back the Malva? If the Torah has said that you have to release the loan, so if the Loiva gives back the money as a loan, isn't he being over on this mitzvah? The Torah says that you should release the loan and the loan disappears. And then all of a sudden, the Levi says, you know what, I want to return the money anyway. Wouldn't he be over on this idea of uh, that you're supposed to be mishamat the loans on Shviyas? And the truth is, this is the question that Taisus Yomtev. The Taisus Yomtev asks this. He says, what are you talking about? That you're chayv you're, you're, you're paying it back. And if you do pay it back, you fulfill the mitzvah of returning a loan. How are you fulfilling any mitzvah? The thing is gone. It's disappeared. Rather, the Teisus Yomtev says you have to learn the mission differently. It doesn't mean that you're returning like the Chayv. It means that you're giving a gift. So your Machs Chayv doesn't mean literally the Chayv. It means is that the theoretical Chayv that this person had, you comes to you and you need to tell him, look, it's really disappeared. I, I can't take it from you. And the person says, I want to give it back anyway. Then you convince him. It says, you, you know, until he says, I, I, it's a gift. And then he can give it back to you as a gift, but it's actually nothing to do with the loan. It's not a loan at all. That's how the Taisus Yomtsev wants to learn it. But of course, that won't look, work according to the other, most of the Rishayim. And of course, it doesn't fit very well into the actual Lashon of the Mishnah, which talks about Sechayv, Mishamatani, which is all implying that there still is an obligation over there. Uh, so what's going on? So the truth is, it really depends how you learn this Mishnah. One way 
of learning the Mishnah. Let's look at the Taisus Yomtiv. The Taisus Yomtiv is obviously learning the Mishnah that the Mishnah is talking about that Hashem makes the loan hefker. So since Hashem made the loan hefker, therefore it's impossible to return it because it's gone. And if you do return it, the whole mitzvah is uh, of Layigash is the idea is to safeguard and make sure that this idea of not asking for the loans back will be kept. So by taking the money back, even if the guy is willingly giving it to you, that would be over in the whole, and you're supposed to administer this mitzvah, and you're not administering very well if you're actually receiving, taking the money back. Therefore, you have to give it as a gift. But according to the other way of learning it is, if we're talking about that it's an union of being mafkir, uh, the, the, the person has to make the loan after, then it makes sense. Because what's going on over here? When the person comes, what, what, is, what does a person make after? The person, when he makes it after, he's not making after that there's no more loan anymore, that he has no more ownership of this property. All what he's doing is he's releasing his, his the chayb, he's releasing the obligation that you need to pay it back. It, the Torah doesn't say that you got to give the guy a gift, that you're giving the guy a gift, that, that, that 5% of property that's linked to you, you're giving it as a gift. The Torah doesn't say you're giving the guy a gift. All the Torah says is that you're releasing the chayb, you're releasing the obligation which is there. So the releasing of the obligation really just means that you're not going to demand it from him back. And according to that, it actually fits very well in the Mishnah. Because the machs are chayv. The chayv is there. You still have ownership of, let's say, 5% of this person's property. But you can't ask for it back uh, because that's the whole mitzvah, is laigish, not the present form. You're releasing your right to be able to claim it back from this person. So machs are chayv and the person says, I want to give it to him. So first you need to say, meshamatani. I'm releasing it. Because it says in the Pasuk Zed Varshmita, which tells us that in addition to making it uh, the loan, hefker, uh, on your own, if the person actually comes to you and wants to return it, Zedvar, you have to tell him verbally Zedvar Shemitah at least once. But if he still wants to give it back to you, then you're allowed to take it from him because you have relinquished completely your right to claim it. And you even tell the guy, look, I can't claim this is all, this is completely up to you. But if the person says, you know what, I still want to give you back your property, I still know the Etzim Bailus of, of, of the money is still yours. I don't want to keep $1,000 of your property inside of my rishus. It's not my money, it's your money, and I want to return it, then you're allowed to take it from him. And, and the Rebbe says this actually fits very well in the Lashon of the Rambam. Because the, the Rambam writes that he says like this, he says, It's a mitzvah say to uh, release the loan. So what's the idea of mitzvah say lahashmi? It's mashma that the person has to do something. He's releasing it. And um, and also, he says, the Rebbe says, look at the mitzvahs, loyse say mitzvah reish lamed. He says, he puts them both together. The Ram and the Sefer Mitzvahs writes like this. His arinu shaloy letvoya masoyis v'shnas to shmita. We have been warned not to demand the payment in the shmita year. Avo yishvadu kulam yachtav. Rather, you should you should release them all together. Shnemer shemoit kol ba'al masu yodeh. Ve'enim mutalugush lagush avo yishamit. And you're not allowed to demand it. Rather, you have to release it. Meaning, the way how the Raman is learning the mitzvah is that he learns both parts go together. That the mitzvah of releasing the loan is not to demand it back, not to press the person to give it back to you. According to the Raman, that is the mitzvah. So let's just say, give a little summary of basically how, what we're talking about Shemitah's Ksafim. First of all, is the mitzvah Shemitah's Ksafim on the person or is it happening automatically? And the second question is, when we say Shemitah's Ksafim, does it mean that I'm just not allowed to demand it back, but the my ownership that I had in your possessions, that 5%, that's what our dogma was, you still own. You just can't, you have no right to 
demand it back, or is the pshat that it becomes completely released? So if you look at the Rambam, so the Rambam, oh, before we get to that, so there's really, this would really depend on how you learn what the mitzvah is. Is the mitzvah that it's, that, that the mitzvah is that you have to release the entire loan, including whatever ownership you had of the other person's property. And then there's a law of layigash that you're not allowed to oppress the person, meaning is you're almost like administering it again, like you're making sure that no one's going to ask for it. It's gone. And your love is that you're not allowed to bug the guy about it. So you're, the mitzvah again is to administer. Uh, to be the admin for it, or is it really one thing? Really, that the mitzvah is not to be. The mitzvah is to re, that your mitzvah is that you're not allowed to be loyigash. The mitzvah itself is loyigash, not that Hashem releases it. And the loyigash is that you have to be the admin, the administrator for the idea of loyigash because Hashem released it, and now you're the administrator to make sure no one's gonna. You're not gonna, you know, push the guy to pay you back. Rather, according to this other way of learning it is, the mitzvah is loyigash. Your mitzvah is that you're not allowed to push the guy for payment. So you're releasing the person from the responsibility of paying you, and now it's completely up to him. That the, 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 the schus, this right that you had to be able to collect it, you've given it up, and now it's up to the person. And now we can understand why ruach hacham and noichahimano. Because ruach hacham and noichahimano is because even though there's, the person doesn't have to pay you back, that's the whole mitzvah is that it's, you know, basically it's optional to pay the person back at this point. He, the guy has given up his right to collect it. So if he's given up his right, that means there's no obligation on you to pay him. But nonetheless, since you know that he ha- you have some of his property, and this person did you a type, this person did you a favor, he gave you a loan. Therefore, you have an obligation, um, not an obligation, sorry, Therefore, it would be Ruach HaCham and the Chacham would be happy and they like you and they're proud of you when you have that Akar Sataiv and you actually pay uh, the person back. So based on this interpretation of the Mishnah, which we said is the Pashtus of the Lashon and Mishnah, and that's how most of the Roshayim learn the Mishnah, it seems pretty clear that the Mitzvah of Shemitah's Ksafim is um, that the person has to release the loan and he's just releasing that, his, 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 the, 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 uh, the, his right to make the claim. So just like by Shemitah's Ksafim, we're saying the mitzvah is on the Gavra, and that's clear by this particular case. So similarly by Shemitah's Karka, it's also going to be the mitzvah is going to be on the person to, uh, you know, not work the land and also to be mafkir the Paris. So I said earlier that the reason why they're the same, why they have the same alakas, is because the Pasuk says, Zed which since it says the word Shmait and Shemitah twice, it's basically telling us that there's two types of Shemitah, the Shemitah Ksafim and Shemitah Karkim. So we're going to explain that. So let me give you a little bit of the background on that is, uh, to be able to understand better how these two inyanim are, uh, would admit the, the, the dinim that apply to one would, of course, apply to the other. So the Gemara in Gitan Daf Lamed Vav tells us that Hillel made it the kana of a prisbal, meaning is that what was happening is that people stopped giving loans because people... Shemitah would come and people wouldn't pay back the loans and they'd lose their money. So people stopped making loans. So his hilo was Masakin that you give a principal. The principal's idea is that you're giving over the loans to Beisden. Loans that are given over to Beisden do not become nullified. It's only personal loans, not loans that are belong to Beisden. Therefore, the loans will be able to um, remain even after Shemitah. So the Mar asks, how did how could Hillel do that? The Torah says that all the loans are supposed to become nullified. And then Hilla comes and makes the Takana that the loans are not going to become nullified, like the opposite of what the Torah wants. So the Mar gives two answers. The second answer, 
is Rabbas. Rabbas says Hafker based in Hafker. That really, you know, the, the loans do become nullified. But Basin has the capability to take property from one, give it to the other, and that's what they were masakin because they saw the, you know, shot srich But the first answer the Gemara gives is Abai's answer. Abai says, this is the opinion of Rabbi, the Tani, because we learned in the Rabbi, we learned in the Baisa. One is Shmita's Kaka, one is Shmita's Ksafim. And the reason why it connects the two together is to tell you, Bizman, that when you have Shmita's Kaka, you have Shmita's Ksafim, but when you don't have Shmita's Kaka, you don't have Shmita's Ksafim. What does that mean? So Rashi tells us that the rule is that when we have Yevel, which is every 50 years, and that's dependent on most of the Jewish people living in Eretz Yisrael, when you have Yevel, when most of the Jewish people are living there, then you have also the Shemitah, the seven-year cycle of Shemitah, and you have to do Shemitah's Karka. But when there's no Yevel, because the majority of the Jewish people are not living there, then you also don't have Shemitah of the Karka, you don't have the obligation of letting, you know, the Sfarah beer for the land. So what does our Pasik tell us? That when you have Shemitah's Karka, you have Shemitah's Ksafim. So when you have Shemitah's Karka, meaning when there's Yevel, and therefore the Shemitah's Karka, then you also have Shemitah's Ksafim. But when there's no Yevel, and therefore there's no Shemitah's Karka, then you also wouldn't have the obligation of Shemitah's Ksafim. So therefore, nowadays, basically, there is no Dinda Raisa of nullifying loans. It's rather just a Dinda Rabbanon. Since Midr we keep the idea of Shemitah's Karka, so therefore Midr we also keep the idea of Shemitah's Ksafim. We don't keep Yevel, either Midr but the Shemitah's Karka we keep Midr and also the Shemitah's Ksafim will keep the Rabban. So what do we see over here? When it says in the Pasuk, Dayad, Dvar, Shemitah, Shmai, Rabbi is telling us that they have the same halachas. That whatever one applies, the other applies. If one doesn't apply, the other does not apply. So we see, according to Rabbi, these two things are connected. Uh, Rashi tells us, that this is Rabbi's opinion. So when it says it's Rabbi's opinion, it implies that there is a second opinion, which is the Rabbanan which actually the Gemara doesn't quote what the Rabbanon's opinion is, but Rashi, Papashis, is telling us the Rabbanon's opinion. He tells us that in the Torah's Kayanim, um, there's another opinion that says that Yovel and Shemitah's Karka are not connected. Meaning, even when there's no Yovel, like nowadays, because most of the Jewish people do not live in Eretz Yisrael, even if you do not have Yovel, you still would have Shemitah's Karka min So Shemitah's Karka is min because it's not at all dependent on... Um, Yevil, uh, therefore, then you would have this kak even nowadays. So Pashas, according to that, when the Pasuk says, Zeh, this is again how I think the Rebbe is learning it. Rashi doesn't say this, it's the end of Rashi. When it says in the Pasuk, Zeh, Dvar Shemitah Shemait, it's telling us that there's two Shemitahs and they're connected to each other. The Din cannot be to be telling us that when one applies, the other applies, because the Shemitah's Kaka always applies. Therefore, Shemitah's Kaka also always applies. So therefore, it can't be telling us that particular Din. So it must be coming to tell us other din. It must be coming to tell us some other din. Uh, and 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 what's that? What's that coming to tell us? That's maybe something what we're talking about in in, in our sicha that it's a mitzvah on the gavra, just like sotim is on the gavra. Also, shmitas karka is on the gavra, and there's probably other din that we're able to compare both. But it applies to one, also applies to other. So the the way how the Rebbe is learning, even though it's not clearly in the Gemara, he's learning. It says zed dvar Everybody agrees that the uh, the only machlaikis is what is the story with Shemitah's Karka? According to Rebbe, Shemitah's Karka is Midorbanan, so therefore Shemitah's Ksachim will also be Midorbanan. According to Rabbanan, it's Deraisa, therefore, well, obviously they're both going to be uh, Deraisa, but the general idea of this Pasuk is, is to teach us that they both have the same Dinim, and there could be many Dinim. Rebbe's talking about one, which according to Rabbanan wouldn't apply, but there would be other Dinim that would uh, make sense. Okay. Uh, the last part of the Sicha. 
The last part of the Sikha, I'm just going to do it, honestly, a bit quick. I'm not going to go through Sobi'i in this last part of the Sikha, but the Rebbe makes a Siyam in Masechah Shviyas. So the last Mishnah in Masechah Shviyas tells us three times where the Ruach HaChamim Ayinoichimani. One of them is the idea of Shemitah Sksafim, that if the person still comes back and pays it, even though uh, he doesn't need to, Ruach HaChamim Ayinoichimani. Then it tells us a second din is that when we have a ger, a ger gave a loan. You borrow from a ger that the children converted with him. Um, you do not return it to his children. Meaning there's no obligation to return it to his children. The law is that a ger and his children who were converted with him don't have any relationship. So therefore, since the ger dies, he doesn't have any living relatives. So you basically have no one to pay the loan to and you don't have any obligation to return his kids because technically, halakhically, they're not considered his kids. But but if you do return it, if you do give it to the kids, the chamam are happy. The pshat, of course, you give is because the, the, the children get upset. It's like, wow, we become yidin and therefore, you know, we, got, we basically lose the money. If we were the main guy, we would have got the inheritance. But now we become a yid, oh, we lose all this money. Anyway, so Then it says, it says all movable items is able to be acquired from the shikha. And but let's say you did not acquire something with Mishmishicha, but you just gave your word that you'd sell an item to somebody. It says, Whoever fulfills his words, the Chachamim are happy within this individual. So even though there was no Kenyan, but you said you'd sell this person this item, and you fulfill your word even though you don't need to, the Chachamim are happy. So there's a few, just quickly to say the questions. The, the question about the idea of the, the Gershinaz Gairu was, why does it say layaks or labanat? It should have just says if you borrow money from Gir and his children were this guy from him, if you return it to him, the Chama will be happy, which tells us that you don't need to, but if you do, you know, why say specifically layaks or labanat? And the second thing is, why are we talking about call Metalton nickname of Shikha? Why do we have to call us that Metalton is acquired by Shikha? And whoever fulfills his word, just cut out the whole idea of Metalton, just say whoever fulfills his word, Hashem, uh, the, the Chama are happy with him. Why do we have to say that usually it's with Mashikha? Over here, it's not with Mashikha. But he still fulfilled his words. Let's cut out the whole idea of Talpun and just say, whenever you fulfill your word, you're good. And it doesn't have to be specifically by, you know, let's say, movable uh, property. So, so the, the idea is, the Rebbe explains like this, a, a beautiful idea. He says, this at the Ruach HaChamim Arnoicha it's not just because you fulfilled your word. It's more than that. It's not just because you're an honest person. It's because you're bringing goodness into all the parties and all the items that are connected to this particular um, story, right? It's not just you're a good person in general that you can keep your word, but within this uh, story itself, and within this situation itself, you're, you're, you're making, you're, you're bringing goodness into every aspect of it. And we have three levels. The first level that the Mishnah says is talking about Shemitah. What is the goodness that you bring in? That's, there's three parties. There's the Malva, there's the Laiva, and then there's the actual money itself, the item. So the goodness that's brought to the Malva, when the Laiva comes and returns the money, a, he does something good to the Malva. He, he's basically showing him, the guy lent you money, and you're paying the guy back. You're showing him the Karsa type. He gave you money, and he's not losing out because he did a mitzvah, because he gave you something. The second thing is, the second thing is, Mitzad the Leiva himself. You're showing that you have this midah of a Karsa type, that you're a good person. Someone lends you money, you pay it back. And even more than that, it also gives you a good reputation for the future. 
people will know like, oh, this is a guy that pays back his loans, even after Shvius, he's an honest person. So you're bringing goodness to the Malva that lent you money that he gets his money back. You're bringing goodness to the Loiva that people will trust him and also it makes him, shows that he has a good midah, midah type of curse type. And also Mitzad, the Chayv itself. Because we explained earlier, the Chayv itself is really property that belongs to the Malva. The Malva just can't demand it. So the Chamim are happy is that this money that's in your property that you're using, like you're using this money and you're using the property at 5%, that's not really yours, but you're utilizing it because you, the guy has no right to claim it back. And then you go and return it to him. That's also a goodness, which is to the property. The, the property, especially Chassidus, that Rebbe doesn't get into that, but this property belongs to someone else. That means it's his Indian to be Mavara, his Indian to purify and to elevate. So by you holding on to something that doesn't really belong to you and you're utilizing and never holding it back, you're actually having enough of something that's not yours. Which halakhically, again, it wouldn't be an issue in this situation, but on the Ruach HaKamalechem and the Ruach Hasidus, that you wouldn't have. And the second thing is with the, the Gershon Azgayer. So Gershon Azgayer, there's only uh, two parties which, which, which are relevant in this particular situation. Two parties with the, the actual life and the money. The Malva is dead, so you know, he doesn't really care if he's uh, gaining or not, he's done. But Mitzad, the Leiva, you, the Leiva, you borrowed money from this person. You know that this person would want the money to go to his kids, even if they're technically la'alakwa connected to him. You know that's what he wants. So as the Leiva, showing your car to tithe, you give it back to the kids. And Mitzad, the money itself, the money is not yours. The money belongs to someone else. It doesn't, you don't have really any ownership of this money. So you're enjoying money that doesn't belong to you. Therefore, you take the money and you go you give it back to the kids of the year because that's what you know that's what he would have wanted. And the last case of the Mishnah is where there's only one the Ruach the 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 Ruach and it was only Mitzad the money itself. When there's two people trying to make a sale, if you make a kinyan of Mashiach, then then there's actual a connection between you. You have an obligation, he, he did a Mashiach, so now he has to pay you the money, you have to the object's his. There's there really is now two parties. But if you never made a Mashiach, then there are no two parties because there's the buyer and the seller, but there is no buyer and a seller because until you actually sell something, then halakhically there's no buyer and seller. So the only thing that you have is that you gave your word. You said, I'm going to sell this item to you. So Mitzad, the item, the Torah tells us, I think this is the Rabbi's shot. Again, I'm adding a bit, but the Torah says, tells us, if it's Sadiq, Sadiq, and the Lam Shachal Sadiq, that when you say yes, it's honest, and when you say no, it's honest. Meaning is Mitzad, the Torah, when you say, I'm going to sell this object to you, Mitzad, the Torah, you, the, 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 this object is supposed to go to that person. But some of the words that you gave, the, this object now, Minatayr Hashem wants that object to be given to the person based on the words that you said. So in Hachinami, Mitzad the Malva, and there is no Malva, sorry, there is no seller and buyer in this particular situation because they never actually made a transaction. Of course, there's no Hakar Satayv because it's just a regular buying and selling type situation. So you don't have to give it Mitzad Hakar Satayv. There's no connection between the two people. The only connection is that you, your words said that this object will go to this person. Because of your words, the Torah now wants that object to go to the other person because there's an Indian to fulfill your words. So Mitzad the object, this object now has a connection to this other person that Mitzan the Torah should really be in that other person's property. So even though halakhically uh, there's no obligation uh, to actually give it to him, but Ruach HaChamanechem and the Chachamim are happy because you're fulfilling this idea. And this answers the two questions we asked. Why did it say Lo Yachsu Because it's trying to stress that there is no obligation to actually return it to the kids. The only connection is Mitzan the Ger and Mitzan the money itself and that's what the Ruach HaChamanechem is. Um, the kids of the gear. And the second 
question was, why does it talk about the idea of Meshicha? Because it's trying to say there was no Meshicha, meaning it is that there is no connection between the buyer and the seller. So the only reason why the Rucham Neichimenu is because he became Devari. That since he said that he's going to give this object to this person, that makes a connection between the object and that person. Hin Sadek, you should follow your words. Hashem wants that object to be another person's property. Therefore, uh, when you fulfill it, Rucham Neichimenu.